0: APU. American Public University is proud to present Online Teaching Lounge. This is episode number 54, Work-Life Balance, part one. This podcast is for educators, academics, and parents who know that online teaching can be challenging, but it can also be rewarding, engaging, and fun. Welcome to the Online Teaching Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Bethany Hansen, and I'll be your guide for online teaching tips, topics, and strategies. Walk with me into the Online Teaching Lounge. Welcome to the episode today for the Online Teaching Lounge. We're in year two of this podcast, and it is very exciting to support you in your online teaching efforts. You're not alone here. You might feel alone teaching online, as it can be very isolating to do that but we're here for you and hopefully you'll get some tools and strategies and encouragement by listening to this podcast today. We're at the beginning of a three-part mini-series. Today is part one. We'll talk about work-life balance and how you can set priorities for your very top priority as an online educator. This will be about engaging with students first. Next episode, we will talk about work life balance in setting priorities to produce assets that can guide your students to manage themselves. And lastly, also in work life balance, we will talk about setting priorities to use time management strategies effectively, managing your workload. These three areas are going to support you a lot in your work life balance. As online educators, we know that we can teach anytime, anywhere. And it's very easy for us to have the online classroom follow us to all places that we go and kind of pop into all places in our lives. There's been a lot of research done in online teaching, and even though it offers attractive flexibility for you as the instructor, all kinds of instructors out there report high teaching workloads, feeling isolated, having high stress levels, and having generally poor life-work balance. There's a lot of assumptions about online learners out there we can use to our advantage, especially when we're working with adult learners, and those come from andragogy theory. There are also some frameworks that help us as online educators, and we're going to look at the community of inquiry framework to give us some practical application as we're taking this tour in our three-part mini-series. We can also look at some areas outside of online education, like the work-life balance theories. There's been some research done in that area. And then lastly, we can think about the kinds of boundaries that would support your work and simultaneously allow you to focus on your student success as a priority. I personally believe that when you set boundaries in the online classroom and in your online teaching generally by prioritizing what matters most, developing assets to help your students guide themselves, and managing your time efficiently and carefully, you can have better definition to your work and you can also focus your efforts, which means you're gonna do a better job as an online educator and you might even enjoy it a lot more. So here we go with part one, engaging with students first. When we think about engaging with students first, there are some things about work-life balance for online employees that also apply to our online educators here. In some of the research done about working online, There was a little collection of strategies people were using to have good work-life balance. Of course, there were some that were provided by the employers, but those are pretty few. The most successful strategies came from the employees themselves. These are called employee-originated solutions. Now, employee-originating solutions means that you have the locus of control. You're the boss of what you do for these solutions, how much you use them and how you manage them. The most popular employee originating solutions for online workers that were effective were mindfulness strategies, self-reflection, and meditation. And these could be either prompted by the employer or just come up with by the employee themselves. These are gonna increase your mental and emotional presence in the online classroom and just working online generally. It'll also increase your mental and emotional presence in your personal life and reduce the interference of work-related stress. Now, when I say there's interference from work-related stress, I mean, we might be thinking about our online work when we're not actually doing it. We might have emails pop up that stress us out because we think, oh, we have to go online right now. Chances are, this has happened to you if you've worked online very long. It's pervasive, and we think, because we can read those messages anytime we should do it to keep our workload under control. But we don't realize that when we're doing those things, the stress is creeping in and we're feeling all that stress all day long in our personal life too. Before you know it, we think we need to be working all the time throughout the day just to keep the workload manageable. But it doesn't have to be that way. Really, there are a lot of ways we can reduce that stress and create less pressure in our work life. So thinking about this, we're gonna talk about connecting with our students first. This is gonna be the top priority for us as online educators. And I'm gonna share just a few tips with you today Then I encourage you to come back next week for episode 55 when we will talk about producing assets that guide your students to manage themselves. Now let's look at the framework that is really common or popular in online education, the community of inquiry framework. This framework gives us a practical model that we can use to kind of design how we involve ourselves in the classroom, how we engage with our students. The Community of Inquiry Framework focuses on teaching, social, and cognitive presence as priorities. Perhaps you've heard of it. If you're in higher education, it's very likely that you have. Each of these presences within the COI model, the teaching, social, and cognitive presences, work together in an interrelated way. So they work together in ways that we often are meeting two or three presences all at once through our activities. And we're going to support our students in their learning experiences by focusing in these areas even more precisely. Social presence is about the way your learners can engage in a comfortable learning environment and feel supported and trust you as the educator and feel like they can collaborate with others in that environment. Teaching presence is about your ability as the educator to design and facilitate the online class. So what you run and put announcements out there and guide them in their assignments and all of those things is part of your teaching presence. And lastly, cognitive presence is the way learners can construct new meaning through the process of learning. So that means they're doing some things that draw the points together, connecting the dots, making even more connections to the subject matter. And you can promote that as an educator in a lot of different ways. When you are designing and facilitating a course online and you're thoughtful about connecting this to what the learners need and what they already know, you can use the COI framework to plan what you're going to do, thinking about your social, teaching, and cognitive presence. This is gonna give you a lot of space to prioritize what's really important and make the best of your time spent in the online classroom. Now, if you take a thoughtful approach like using a framework such as the COI I've mentioned here, you can plan your activities around those key areas. If you don't do that, it's very easy to resort to like a to-do list. Maybe we've got a to-do list of things to grade, things to post, comments to write, announcements to post. And when we have that to-do list that's just a checkbox approach, it's really easy for us to lose track of the bigger picture, what we're really trying to accomplish as the educator. The framework helps us to ground ourselves in the goal of connecting with our students, promoting the cognitive aspects of what we're doing, and also helping them get to know us as faculty or as instructors. So our first priority is to engage with the students first. There are some strategies that will help you engage with your students first. Some of these could be posting and replying early each day in the discussion. Of course, reading messages and emails that your students send you early in the day will also help you to address any serious concerns that your students have. This is going to build trust. If you make weekly notes about your students and add some things that you're figuring out about them, it will help you get to know them better. You can also use a strategy called backwards mapping and use it to plan your workload. The workload's pretty high when you're teaching online. There's a lot to read and write and grade and a lot of time to spend because when you're not meeting face-to-face, you're going to replace that with a lot of written work and other types of online interactivity. So there's more to grade, more to do, more to read. Because of this kind of workload, you want to decide where to start in your teaching tasks. This will help you avoid being overwhelmed and quickly burning out. When you engage with students first as your top priority, this is gonna help you establish your teaching presence and your social presence. If you don't have those two areas when you're creating your course, when you're engaging with students, it's very difficult to bump things up to that next level of cognitive presence to help students adopt critical thinking and really be engaged in the underlying aim of all those educational activities that you've planned. So you might consider starting the day with a post in the discussion forum for each class you're teaching and responding to all the messages and emails. If you post early in any class you teach every workday, this means you've been responsive, you've got a presence that is regular, and you're not going to forget to engage with your students. After all, the more you engage, the more you build relationships, and you guide them by teaching them in that subject area. Most of the institutions with online learning have some kind of expectations of you as the instructor. Maybe they want you to be in the classroom a certain number of days, or in the discussion area a certain number of days. There might be some kind of guideline to that where you're working now or where you're teaching now. In my own work, I've noticed that if students haven't participated in the weekly discussion yet, I go in there and post an initial thread with some kind of encouragement to get started in the discussion, Maybe a current event that ties to the topic or something else of interest. This helps my students to just start getting into that discussion and readily engage in the dialogue. So we've got the academic community and it's growing because I've created the starter and I've also helped them to see me and feel like I'm there helping them out. This is true when my posts ask them to reflect or apply the topic or connect to some kind of current event. These all satisfy andragogy theory and meet the needs of adult learners, and also they build cognitive presence. Now, if you're teaching the course repeatedly, you teach that same topic over and over again each time you teach this class, you might want to maintain a collection of well-developed starter threads that you can use every time students don't appear to be engaged. So when you need a starter thread for the week, it's nice when you've already researched one and you can kind of further tailor it for the class at hand and meet the needs of those students, but you've got something to start with. Another tip to engage with your students first is to keep anecdotal records. When you post early each day and you build that priority of instructor presence and connecting with your students, you get to know your students as a priority. You're applying andragogy throughout your teaching, and when you record notes, typically called anecdotal records, about your students, this will help you keep track of who they are. Especially if you're teaching a lot of sections with a lot of students, it's difficult to do this. Some of them may not have a photo online, and it's difficult to get to know them or associate their name with their work. Keeping a written record of your students and things that you're learning about them and also who you've replied to each week can help you to manage the touch that you want to have with each student effectively. Your notes might include something like where the students are living, their backgrounds and interests, maybe their academic major, whether they're in the military or working, whether they're new parents, and any other pertinent details that you noticed that you care about. If you write those details down, you can be sensitive in your responses, and when they reach out for extra help, you also have some level of context around who they are and what their situation in life is. Knowing their backgrounds can help you also remember that you're working with real human beings, not just some names that show up online. This can help you to understand their problems and also their challenges when they reach out to you for special help. They are real, they do care about learning from you, and knowing them a little bit better will help you to approach them in a way that lets them know you care about them. When you connect students' experiences and backgrounds to what you say in the class, this helps even more to establish your social presence because it helps the students feel known and it also gives you that human element as you communicate with them. Your weekly student contacts are a best practice because these give you the space to identify any students you haven't connected with recently or touched in the online class, and you can also determine who has become inactive in the course. You can follow up and reach out to help students re-engage in the class. Anecdotal records of your contacts with students will help you to vary who you reach out to, who you look for, and who you follow up with. And eventually you're going to touch everyone and remember the students you've taught long after the class has ended you might even benefit from using a notepad like endnote online or maybe an excel document where you kind of use a spreadsheet approach you could put these notations about your students there to keep track of them and even begin with week one when they give you their introduction so you're just getting to know them whatever process you use the main goal is to really establish a relationship and keep yourself focused. I don't know if you've had this experience, but I used to go to a dentist who would remember things about me when I hadn't seen him in six months. I would sit down in that dentist chair, I believe I was 16 or 17 at the time, and he would ask me all about how school was going and different activities I was engaging in. At the time, I thought, that man was a genius. Now that I'm older and I understand how those things are maintained, I realized that he was keeping anecdotal records so that he could follow up with me and build rapport. It's difficult to work on someone's teeth as a dentist if they're afraid of you, but when you build rapport, trust is created and fear can reduce. That's my estimation of what happened at the dentist, but it also happens in online education. The more you convey that you know the student and you're relating to them, and the more you connect socially by sharing your expertise and your thoughts about what's going on as well, the more students build trust for you. They're more likely to reach out to you when they do have concerns instead of just dropping the class or disappearing and disengaging. The last area I want to share with you in this priority of connecting or engaging with your students first is to practice backwards mapping. Now, you might have heard this term before. Backwards mapping is something that Wiggins and McTeague came up with in a curriculum design process. The goal is that you're going to look at what you want to achieve at the end of a class. You create this big picture view of the goals, and then you break them down into smaller tasks that need to be planned ahead of time to reach the goals. Public school teachers use this strategy a lot when they're choosing learning goals for their students. And of course, as I just mentioned, plan the desired date the goals will be achieved and move backwards to decide when to start the project, when to start the lesson, and when the bigger benchmark measurements need to happen. Backwards mapping is a great strategy that can be used in planning your online teaching engagement productively. So not only is it a curricular tool It is also a good planning tool for your involvement and your time management. You can use backwards mapping to ensure that the requirements or goals you have for yourself professionally as an educator are met on time. For example, let's just say you're teaching a class of 50 students. That would be a pretty large class. And if you're teaching a class of 50 students and you need to respond to everyone at least once during the week, If you're online for five days of that week, you'll probably want to make sure you're connecting with 10 students per day. If that works for you to spread it out that way, then you could backwards map in that way, and then on the last day of the week, check in and see if you have met your goal. You can reply, you can grade this way by backwards mapping your approach to grading as well. You can also backwards map different things like posting announcements, logging in, and doing other follow-up pieces of your online teaching. Backwards mapping assignments to be graded can really help you anticipate how many documents you're going to evaluate and how many you would need to evaluate each day to return the graded work in a pretty timely manner and with the expected grading quality that you're wanting to return to them. Take a look at backwards mapping. It's a great strategy to help you reduce the overwhelm of the teaching load that you might have when you're teaching online. So in summary, your priorities would be to post in discussions every day, early in the day, as your first priority to connect with your students. So engage with students first. Reply to messages, emails, and students' questions before any other task. Take anecdotal notes about your students from week one forums and throughout the course as things come up. Track the students you've responded to or touched each week, and then follow up with missing or disengaged students. You can also use these strategies as you're engaging with students first. The first one is to set time management priorities. You might use a checklist to ensure that there are things that must be done and that they get done. Plan time for each commitment that you have on a schedule or in some kind of a planner, and then backwards map your engagement and your grading. When you do these things by setting priorities and following strategies that work for you, You'll be able to have work-life balance because the work is getting done in a focused manner and at a quality that helps you really connect with students and make a difference in your online teaching. I appreciate you being here today. Thank you for listening to part one in our work-life balance three-part mini series. Come back next week and we'll talk about producing assets that guide your students in self-management. And I look forward to seeing you then. Best wishes this coming week in your online teaching. This is Dr. Bethany Hansen, your host for the Online Teaching Lounge podcast. To share comments and requests for future episodes, please visit bethanyhansen.com forward slash request. Best wishes this coming week in your online teaching journey. For more information about our university, visit us at study APU.